Hello and welcome to the actual episode 259 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. If you've uh, listened to our last random non-Tendo, you'll know why I say that. And if you haven't, uh, well, you should. Did I hear that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, was about to, uh, yeah. I was about to comment on that too. Non- <laughs> yeah, well, I like you know that. what? We It's another name change, guys. Surprise. It's the third name for our not-Nintendo podcast. No, random non-Tendo. Um, but yeah, oh, if you man. didn't listen we were, to that. We were about to hit 260 also. So now we're going to be random non-Tendo episode one. Yep. Yep, sorry guys. Well, no, that was that was QC, not us, not Ram Nintendo. No, our, so that would be now going from twenty seven back to one. Yeah, but anyway, the point is, nope. if you if you didn't no, listen, you, yeah, if you didn't listen, go listen. That joke will make sense. Otherwise, hi, I'm Jason. Yep, you are. Okay, yeah, he is. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone else here? No, no names. All right. I mean, physically, uh, Angel. I, 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 he he's yeah. Kevin. I'm, Kevin's physically yeah. here. Angel, where I'm are Kevin. you? Physical I feel like I've done that joke before. I'm not too sure. Actually, I don't think you have. Believe it or Pretty not. Pretty sure I have. Huh. I mean, after almost, I don't know, 300 episodes total, I'm sure that joke has been done at least once. And that's Angel. But yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah th- this episode is our first normal random Nintendo, not non-Tendo, not non-Tendo, not any other thing. Uh, since the big reveal of the Switch Pro that isn't so pro, it's just OLED. And uh, yeah, better believe we're going to talk about it. Uh, and really, it boils down to the question of, like, is a bigger size enough? So we're calling this episode, Does Size Matter? Yeah, um, we are. But there is more. <laughs> Double <laughs> but, the memory. Yeah, does size matter? It really, It's really a question that fits for a lot of topics to talk about this episode because uh, there's a $2,000 Mario watch that was announced. And it's pretty big on your wrist and, like, doesn't matter. There's uh, – for some somehow, Angel, you were able to tie in this next topic. Uh, there's a Nickelodeon version of Smash Bros. coming out. We're gonna be talking about. I don't know how size matters with that, but you said it did, so you can enlighten us now or later if you wish. Um, I think it makes more sense later. Okay. Then we might as well just start talking about it at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then we'll wait. And also, besides that stuff that doesn't even make sense with that title, uh, I'm gonna be sharing some impressions of uh, Fuser, the DJ game Fuser that I spent some time with uh, messing around with. And uh, we are bringing... sense with the last game in the bottom of the outline, I guess. With it's, Metroid? It's, it's the multi-platform. Uh, if you look at the outline... Fuser? Um, the timestamp um, below Fuser. What, did you add something in secret? Oh, uh, I didn't. Hmm. Oh. And we want to read that out loud? Or is that and... an inside joke for just us? I mean, do you want to read it out loud? I'm good. I mean, we might have to <laughs> might have to age gate that episode if we if we say it. Yeah, no, we'll we'll leave that out. We're already borderline with those size matter. That that's further. Anyway, yeah, the other thing worse with all that. That's true. We have we have definitely worse. But um, we're also bringing back our kind of when we feel like it segment, uh, the anniversary series where we reflect on various games that are getting old this year, and this time it's Metroid's turn. So that will be closing out the show. Um, what this episode will not have, however, to be upfront about it, is any real late-breaking news because, full disclosure, we're actually recording this a few days earlier than usual. So if Nintendo makes some wild announcement, like, I don't know, Shadow Dropping Mother 3 or something in the eShop, it's not that we don't have anything to say. It's that we didn't know it happened because it hasn't happened. Something like that would past. happen, You're though, listening to the future. Where they just right? dro- they really finally hope drop it happens. Mother like, 3. Like, just like one time we record early. Yeah. Well, is I that even wild something enough? that Jason would really care and would really want to talk about? That's going to like kill them to not. Have to well, have to we're missing like MPD numbers. Those come out after we record. So, <laughs> congrats, well, guys! You get a break. Nice, well, we get a month. But no, I, I mean, I'm not, I, it, has, it would have to be real. 
it would really have to be wild for me to like actually like be like oh my god because we can always talk about it next time but like something like I don't even know like Nintendo divesting from video games to get back into their true passion of love hotels or like something like that scale where it'd be like I can't believe we missed that like the rest we'll get to you know revealing that like Miyamoto actually didn't create the games he's just the face like kind of how Millie Vanilli lip synced their songs like something of that caliber would be like oh man how do we not cover that but those aren't going to happen I would hope assume maybe I don't know um, but anyway, yeah, how, how are you guys doing in general? How's how's life? Usually we talk about what we're playing, but I don't think we have much outside of Fuser. So is there anything going on in your gaming yeah, I mean, before what, we get to the news? What better game than the game of life that we're playing? And we only have a limited amount of time on this uh, life, so. Yeah. Are you <laughs> making the most of it, Kevin? Absolutely not. I, I can do way better. <laughs> I'm just too lazy to do, to like do better. I feel like on some well, level, asking are that you question happy? on a <laughs> Nintendo guess, podcast I, answers it in and of itself. <laughs> you know? Like well, we're I, saying. Mean, fact, I mean, like, yeah, we're, we're choosing to do this. So, I mean, I like to think that you're making the most of your life if you're doing things you enjoy. That's a very good answer. You're not, you don't necessarily have to, you know, be living out your full potential because, I mean, that is essentially limitless for anybody. Like anybody has the potential to do anything and you could just think yourself into a corner and de- get depressed over like, oh, I could have done this if I had stuck to that or if I had just taken this course instead or blah, blah, blah. But, you know, if you're happy now, then you're living it up. What a great uplifting thought to have instead of what we're playing. <laughs> um, we do have what we're playing, to be fair. Fuser, I'll do later in the show because, like, the Switch OLED happened. I mean, that, that seems a bit bigger than Fuser. So, uh I feel like we could kind of go old school around Nintendo here and do the news first, like we used to do pre-pandemic, and then do our Metroid retrospective, and then wrap it up with, or maybe we do future before Metroid, I don't know, we'll figure it out, but we're going to start with the news for once, because why not? So here we go. The Switch OLED model, the Nintendo Switch OLED model. It was early in the morning after kind of a long holiday weekend when out of nowhere, Nintendo put an end to months, if not years, of speculation about what would come next for a Switch. And it turns out all the reports and the rumors were literally half correct. Yes, we're getting a 7-inch OLED screen switch. Yes, it comes with a better kickstand. It even has improved speakers, although what that means remains to be seen. And it has double the internal storage, 64 instead of 32, like I think, Angel, you were saying earlier. And the battery life is that of the more recent model, not that of the OG launch model, so it's a little better. And it even has an Ethernet port in its dock. So far, so good, right? Um, but that's where it stops. No 4K when in TV mode, no 1080p in handheld mode to better flex that vibrant OLED screen, no Bluetooth audio support, which is something that they never said was going to happen, but just like I think we all wanted. Uh, so what we're looking at essentially is Nintendo sort of half-stepping into every area that people hope to see improvement, which I don't say is a judgment. It's just strictly like a reference point of kind of the area of nature of this update and what people were expecting and what the reality was. But before we get into the potential whys and hows of Nintendo's move here, so I could do a quick like read of our temperatures. Where do you two stand on this thing, on the OLED switch? Like just as is, what do you think of it? Are you getting it? What was your reaction when you saw that reveal? Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, you go first. Uh, I mean, it's it's weird. I I, I think that that's how I just took it. I I just found it incredibly weird. Um. But then after reading a lot of takes on Twitter, it was like, oh, this this makes sense that Nintendo would go this route instead of just an entire pro. Yeah. 
Uh, personally, mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure you're, you're going to ask at some point. No, but no, I'm not going to buy it because whatever upgrades there are aren't enough for me to justify dropping another three hundred fifty bucks on on a Switch. Yeah, that that's fair because it's literally just a slightly bigger screen. I mean, Angel, you you're yeah, more of a TV man than a handheld man, right? Yeah, I would say my Switch is like ninety nine percent of the time in dock mode and the only time it isn't is i think when we go to comic-con and even then i would try normally to try to bring the dock or if we go to a trip mm-hmm. somewhere but yeah like it's so you know better battery doesn't matter bigger more storage i already have like a 256 gig sd card you know better stand doesn't matter better screen doesn't matter like none of it matters <laughs> fair like fair. better speakers I, 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 that do I, I, something we don't know doesn't matter yeah, it doesn't matter. On top of the fact that, uh, yeah, like, oh, Ethernet port in the, the stock doesn't matter because I already had gotten the adapter. And, Man, we should just call you know, this episode I mean, doesn't matter. It's like the word of the day, phrase of the day. And, I mean, like, in a world where I didn't buy a Switch, I would think, like, or, you know, just, just like, at face value, like, whether I'm getting it, like, no, because it doesn't matter. But, <laughs> I don't know, it, it looks cool. I mean, the, the screen looks nice. It looks like a nice upgrade for people that actually use the Switch. Mm-hmm. You know, like about 50-50 screen, I mean, handheld and docked. But unfortunately, I'm just not one of those. And I also just like got it repaired from Nintendo and the three, four-day turnaround that I mentioned before. So, yeah, like I was hoping for a substantial... Well, I was just hoping for anything. Like if I mean, I wasn't even expecting them to do any kind of upgrade. I never bought into right. these rumors. Like as far as I'm concerned, like they're all fake until Nintendo says something. So, you know, until then, it's just speculation. But, um, yeah, so when they did announce something, my first thought was like, oh, that's cool. Maybe there is something to this. And I was like, oh, man, I kind of wanted to spend money, but maybe it's for the best. There's other more expensive things that I'm looking at it right, right now anyway. Right. There, yeah. There's two things you said there that I was kind of like, oh, I want to I ask you about that. So you, so you said it looks very nice, and I, I agree it does. What do you guys make of that black and white color scheme? I'm torn. Like, do you think it looks good with the the two tone or? Yes, uh, yeah. I I I'm one of yeah, the few that cool. likes the the dual tone of the PS5. So this mm-hmm. being almost pretty much the same with the black oh, and white, wow. yeah, this would look really nice next to a PS5. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the dock nice. having curved edges now, the new dock is very PS5. Yeah, the new yeah. dock is actually like I actually would buy the new dock just for the uh, Ethernet port for sure. Which you can do separately. They're selling them separately. Yep, but and they, they, they haven't Switch. announced yeah. the price. Yeah, already. because the first dock was very no, readily available separately. I don't think I ever saw an OG dock in person. And when even when I was trying to get a second dock online, um, Nintendo's like website really literally just redirected you to like a Nyko one or like some third party one. Oh really? That yeah. When you clicked on like purchase dock, it would just take you to like the tiny little one. I think it was a Hori one. Well, whatever third company they partnered with to make docks for them. But it's like, I want the Nintendo one. It's like, nope, we just don't have any. Yeah, they, so, they, they with... I think, underestimated how many people would want multiple docks in their home and be able to just plop the Switch at whatever TV they're near. Like, I really think when they, like, I remember when the Switch launched and docks for like a year were basically non-existent. And it, it, I, I do wonder on some level if the fact that they underestimated docks so much 
and then you know a couple years later started talking up oh we can have multiple switches per household i wonder if they're like oh hold on a sec people will use this thing in multiple rooms maybe we can just get multiple people to buy them for multiple rooms in full like i do wonder if there's a link there who knows but it is kind of interesting how like one sort of led to the other or correlated versus causation but, you know um yeah. but yeah the color scheme is so where you stand on angel do you like the two-tone the um white black or whatever they're calling yeah, it looks cool I, I like it i don't dislike it it's just like i like changing up the color every once in a while so mm-hmm. it just looks nice but I'm, i am way too used to just like seeing like my like orange and purple orange and blue orange and any other color yeah ideally i would also have another orange joy concept of orange and orange but you know it's i just have to stick to it as a dream yeah i i for me am weird in that well you guys know this. i like things pretty bland you know, Mr. Vanilla over here, but like, you know, my, my, up until my iPhone 12, all my phones are like dark gray or black. My laptop is always silver or gray. My Apple Watch is like the most minimal watch face on it. I bought the gray switch. I haven't bought any colored Joy Cons. So when I saw the two tone color, even though it was just black and white, like it was still, you know, a little more than just solid color. I, I don't know. It's kind of intense for me. Like, what I really wish is that they let you pick. What? Which dock you get with the system. (laughs) No, like, it's not bad. It's just, like, here's the situation. So I downstairs here. Too intense. It's too intense. I downstairs here have a setup where the entertainment center is, like, white. Did your girlfriend have to console you after you look? Well, no, she agrees. That's where it gets – that's the problem. We're we're two crazy peas in a pod here because she agrees. Like, we have a white entertainment center and everything on top of it, the Switch, the Apple TV, this little candle holder thing she got, and our TV are all – black saw black kind of minimalist and it's like oh are we gonna break the black with the white like because now the dock is white like it eh. i guess we're looking at it from that I, angle I, sure but like yeah it's not like what I mean. the black and white is exotic it's like no no no, no. i just mean compared to my completely mono monotone top oh then, then sure then that's pop. a little yeah. bit more understandable but no the the way you originally made it sound it's like oh man it's too extreme oh this no no like it's not cool like, I'm like oh my switch. god panda bears are too intense for me i can't look at a panda bear yeah no it's it's fine yeah but what i would really like honestly tip angel your point about getting like all orange and everything like it, they have a Joy-Con switch customizer tool thing on Nintendo.com where you can go and you pick your different Joy-Cons and they show you what they look like on your Switch and you can buy the Joy-Con separately. I don't know. I feel like as part of the pitch to make the OLED model like stand out in some way, they could kind of have done what they did with the 3DS faceplates. Like it would have been cool if they took a cue from like Xbox Design Studio or whatever and they let you buy your Joy-Cons, buy your dock because they are selling both black and white ones of the new design. Um, you know, pick which version of the Switch you want, the original, the OLED, the Animal Crossing back, whatever, and then you could literally just, like, compile your own bundle. Like, that would be super cool, and really that would be kind of a thing that lets them sort of ham up, oh, the Switch is, you know, this is new with Switch. You can customize it in a way you couldn't before. Um, obviously, they're not going to do that. Not that it's on the it same scale, really nice but did. Xbox does let you uh... – they have the uh, Xbox controller design lab where online you get to yeah, yeah, that's pretty much like every yeah, facet yeah, yeah. of the, the controller and it's super cool. Yeah, like I wish Nintendo would do that because they make such a point out of how customizable it can be. I got to assume on some level they're not doing it because they don't want to put more attention on Joy-Cons and Joy-Con drift in a way because uh, the first thing out of everyone's mouth when the OLED Switch was announced, all the media sent Nintendo, so what's up with the Joy-Cons? Are they fixed? And Nintendo just kept saying no comment, no comment, no comment, which means they're not fixed. So I imagine if they like launched a Joy-Con studio where you can customize your Switch with any Joy-Con, that's just another 
piece of PR where they have to go out and be like, okay, yes, the, 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 you could send in your Roycons, but there's not really a problem, et cetera, et cetera. So I won't be surprised if some weird You get way to choose whether you want drift on your Joy-Con or not. Yeah, exactly. Do you want Joy-Con 1 or Joy-Con version 2? Yeah. It'd save you 10 but, bucks. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, honestly, for 10 bucks, it takes a while for Joy-Con drift to get bad. <laughs> so you could ride it out. I, I haven't repaired mine yet. You could ride it out for a while until you get Mario Golf, then it's all downhill. But um, yeah, and t- so that was one thing I wanted to mention because Angel, you mentioned it looked nice. The other thing you said was that you're kind of hoping it'd be, it'd be more. And I think on some level, Kevin, you were saying it too. And I'd be lying. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a tinge disappointed when it was first revealed. Like we can and will get into sort of the, you know, expectation building from the media and how things went awry. But I just mean in terms of like the ethos of like the Switch OLED itself. And it's really what you guys have already said. Like this is a handheld oriented console for a system that, you know, already had a modified version for handheld play in the Switch Lite. Never mind the original Switch, also already, of course, having handheld play. And, you know, to be fair, the Switch Lite is in the other direction. It's more durable, it's a smaller screen, it's cheaper components, it's the 2DS to the Switch's 3DS. Now the OLED model is here, and it turns out to just be the 3DS XL to the Switch's 3DS, a bigger screen, an ergonomic tweak, you know, here it's that kickstand, more screen real estate, same form factor, all that. So ultimately, and I guess unsurprising, given how we've observed this pattern multiple times this year, Nintendo's just pulling from their handheld legacy, right? Like we, we saw it. I said it after the first Direct of the year with their lineup through June. I kept making the point that, you know, oh, they're carrying to handheld demographic first. Then E3 rolled around. We got 2D Metroid and WarioWare and Advanced Wars. And again, I was like, oh, yeah, they're carrying to the handheld crowd. And now, perhaps seeing the forest through the trees more clearly, they are catering in the exact same way, but now with hardware, which actually makes tons of sense it's a very holistic strategy it's one that sure i'll admit i misjudged when all the talk of the 4k switch was floating about but um so that you know that's fine if nintendo wants to do a handheld driven approach so be it but it's just maybe not the direction i expected the switch to go in per se not like from a business like oh i'm analyzing nintendo just personally what i thought the switch would do like i think in my mind i always viewed tv mode and handheld mode as some sort of like equal footing in the system's design philosophy so the idea of a switch with a bigger screen for handheld in my mind would also mean it would do a proportional bump in the experience for tv mode as well which would basically be 4k there's nothing else you could do because you don't own the tvs that people play it on uh it's not like they're gonna go to everyone's house and be like oh you have a 50 inch you have a 55 now uh and you know it's kind of like to me like the sound situation like they're going to acknowledge the speaker output could be better and they're gonna fix it with this new whatever the sound change is so theoretically you'd be like all right well if the speakers are better are they gonna make the experience better when you can't use the speakers when you need headphones like well they have bluetooth and it's like nah they're not gonna do that so it's like they're doing like halfway towards things and it's it, again it's all well within the town's playbook i think like you know the gba sp gained a backlit screen but lost a headphone jack the ds went through three iterations losing the gba slot yet gaining dsiware the 3DS went through, I think, what was it, six different systems? And they added and removed so many different things over time. At one point, you know, the thing was literally a doorstop with a screen. Like, Nintendo's MO is to do exactly what they're doing here, where they, like, giveth and taketh away or half-step in one direction. It's just, I don't know, the, the Switch I thought might be different. Like, maybe I bought into the idea that this was a console as much as a handheld. So I kind of... Uh, believed that all this talk from Nintendo of a longer lifespan and the potential for more iterative updates and, you know, then our speculation last year, earlier this year, about how that can maybe... Maybe it's like the iPhone and they update yearly or bi-yearly with small spec boosts or things like that. Like, in my mind, that would mean the full Switch experience would move forward in lockstep, not just, like, one play style over another, which is what the OLED Switch actually is. 
Um, so initially, initially I was kind of like a little bummed, but as I came to terms with kind of the reality of that situation, man, I, I sound like I'm describing someone being murdered or like I'm at a funeral. As I came to terms with his death, I realized, but no, like it's not that dramatic really. But as I kind of, where it's kind of going there is as I sort of took at face value what the Switch OLED is, I'm actually warming up to it a fair amount. And I admit I'm a bit of a Nintendo fanboy, no surprise there. So obviously I'm going to buy this thing regardless, but I mean, just in general, if you like go through the list and ignore all preconceived notions, ignore, you know, what you may expect from the TV side or whatever, like that screen is going to be a really nice upgrade. I, I am one of the people that, um, is kind of a 50 50 split, like we were talking about before. So, you know, having that more vibrant screen, a bigger screen does seem nice. And I think I'm also one of the few people that's actually going to really appreciate the kickstand. Um, I don't know if anyone out there uses the kickstand. Do you guys ever use the kickstand? Do you ever do tabletop mode? Like ever? As I said before, uh, no. Only when ever? absolutely like at all? to. Yeah, we'll use oh. I used it once when like, I think it came out and I was just like, oh, it. so this is what this is. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Like, who out there actually... Like, if you use tabletop mode at all, tell, like, comment on the episode at Ramtail.com, comment on our YouTube video, tweet us at Ram Nintendo, or, like, tweet me at JSR7. Like, tabletop fans, rise up here. Like, I want to know who's out there. Because, like, seriously, when I'm traveling or in, like, the earlier days of the pandemic, having tabletop mode was great. I mean, Mario Kart on airplanes with friends, Mario Party, you know, when snowed in at a hotel... Uh, for a while there, what the golf? If you guys remember that game, which actually just got a bunch of new content on Switch like a week ago, um, played that in a backyard a lot with tabletop. Like it got that kickstand and its flimsiness got a surprising good amount of mileage on my Switch. And you know, maybe I'm not like the rooftop parties with Karen in the original trailer where I'm like constantly doing it, but like I, you know, I used it, and I think every single time I used it, there's at least one or two times that the thing would fall over and not be stable or whatever. So having that Microsoft Surface style full width adjustable kickstand is actually it's actually really nice. Like I'm kind of excited for that weirdly. But um, I lost my kickstand. I think what really warmed me. You it, Oh yeah, they do pop off really easily. Yeah. This one looks like it won't. This one looks really screwed in. Like it looks No, yeah, this, this kickstand kick looks like uh, what Microsoft uses for their services and I use yeah. uh, Microsoft Surface at work and those kickstands pretty good or kick flap whatever you want to call it. I'm curious how to tell got around Microsoft's patent on that because I'm pretty sure Microsoft patented that kickstand. And it's it looks identical. Like, even the logo placement on it looks the same. So I'm kind of wondering how that played out. But, um, but yeah, I think what actually warmed me up the most is a point that a friend of ours made during one of our game nights, Angel. Um, he, like me, and I think both of you two, still has an original launch switch. And the battery life on that is, you know, it's it's not great. I think the original Switch got 2.5 to 6 or 7 hours or something like that, with, uh, which, which, you know, is okay, but with the world kind of finding its footing again, at least where vaccinations are readily available, um, that's barely a transcontinental flight from L.A. to New York. It's certainly not an international one. It's not, you know, a road trip. It's not like there's there's a, something to be said if you're coming from an OG original version Switch to go the OLED and have your battery life go from 2.5 to 6 or 7 to 4.5 to 9. Like that's, that's uh, percentage wise, it's not a huge jump, but when you. Like I said at the beginning of this conversation, bigger battery doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I'm saying for me, like that's what really warmed me up to it. I'm, yeah. Like there is something to be said. Like I was really da- kind of down on this. And then as I was thinking about it, that battery actually ended up being a big selling point. Cause yeah, it, uh, when you add the bigger screen, when you add the kickstand, when you add that weird speaker thing that I still don't understand, like for handheld play, 
it's a pretty solid update. And it's, again, very the, comparable to the 3DS, 3DS XL jump. Even the price difference. Everyone's like, oh, they're charging $50 more? Yeah, well, when they did 3DS to 3DS XL, they charged $30 more. So, and that was 170 to 200 even, So 300 350 doesn't into consideration, seem crazy. Like, I guess I just realized that, yeah, I guess, like, part of that 1%, 2% is, um, I definitely did use my Switch a lot on an airplane. I think I used mm-hmm. it when we went to Texas. But even then, like, I'm not going to play Smash Bros. for three hours straight against, like... Yeah, I mean, no one's going to play straight the whole time. Yeah, but even then, like... But, but, but like, the ones that where I would use it, I don't remember... I guess we definitely did have the Switch when we went to Japan. But that was, like, obviously a super long flight. But I remember some of our flights had outlets. So even then, like, that wasn't really that big of an issue. And then most of the time, you know, you just kind of switch between devices. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, so, yeah. There's, there's so I don't know if you around. ever need... I mean, obviously, like, I'm not going to say a battery life of, like, more than three hours is ever going to be used because obviously people will. Like, I know plenty of people, myself included, at least with 3DS. Like, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, I've owned pretty much, like, at least one of every Nintendo's handhelds, but I think yeah. most of the time I just played them at home and I would play them, you know, for as long as I would a gaming session that I would a console but you know they're portable which is kind of funny at that point yeah i mean i'm kind of the same way like even when i said you know i do half and half handheld console like i'd take three quarters of that handheld play is just sitting on my couch so like but just knowing you have the safety net the bigger battery just seems nice And again it makes it if you if you look at the spec sheet of the oled switch and you look at the spec sheet of the 3ds xl and you look at how they improve over their original models like it's kind of the it's the exact playbook like it and i i was interested in the xl the second it got announced so like i don't know why i had the hesitation except my misconception of what the switch was in my mind That's because you had Nintendo expectations a little and it does kind of go back to that point to your point like the the fact that they did decide yes we're hand, we're uh favoring handheld whether or not the rumors were true the fact that they did very clearly say we are we are catering to the handheld situation and you know i keep having that caveat of for a handheld it's great um but like handheld's only like half the switch story i don't know or at least it was half the switch pitch like to, like to be fair it is very possible that in the years it's been around nintendo has the data showing and they probably do which is why we're in this situation showing hey most people play it primarily in handheld mode i know back in 2017 i went and dug this out nintendo went on record that um 20% of the people who play in TV mode do it for the majority of their gameplay. So I think they define the majority as 80 or more percent of the hours they play Switch. They are exclusively in TV mode. But then there were 30% of people with that same time frame reference who exclusively used handheld. So if that divide continued to expand, then obviously handheld first makes sense. Which I'm sure, Angel, you know, you kind of already alluded to, but I'm sure as I sit here going, justifying why it's only handheld, you're probably just saying, they're like, well, yeah, the preconceived notion, like you were saying, that the 4K Switch wasn't a thing. It was, you know, it was dumb. Why listen to Bloomberg? You know, everyone's the worst, all that stuff. Like, you were kind of going down that road at the end of random Nintendo last week. But I imagine this sort of ain't weird it justification. The truth. Hmm? I just said, ain't it the truth? But, like, do you, do you think, like, are you basically... Is your attitude Bloomberg was making stuff up, or is your attitude more like just people put too much weight on that? I think people put way too much weight on that because you know whether they are being like honest or not, um, you know whether you know they have factual information, whether they're making it up 
just because like I think yeah, I think people are just putting way too much weight on it. They're it feels like a lot of the time they're staking their whole like Nintendo loyalty on whether these people that are reporting something that Nintendo hasn't even announced yet is true or not. Yeah. I mean I certainly because they could have take it out on Nintendo, which is like dumb. That like, I don't understand. Nintendo. That I do not understand. Is that that like I yeah, you know I was explaining Nintendo alone. Hmm? No, yeah, I was like, yeah, just leave Nintendo alone. Yeah, God, guys, leave Nintendo alone. No, but I don't understand. Like you know, I kind of walked through why I wanted something that also benefited the TV and what my expectations were. But like Nintendo never said anything. They didn't even hype up this now. They even avoided E3 with this announcement to avoid the confusion or the kerfuffle or whatever you want to call it. Like they just on a Tuesday after a holiday weekend, just casually were like, here you go. A new switch surprise. Everything else was not them. So the way that people reacted and were like attacking Nintendo and calling out like their employees I mean, the on Twitter, it, like, it made no oh, sense. I mean, people were so confident about like the day, the time, like why he's like, there was like, you know, so much quote unquote evidence that they were going to announce it. When they talked about when they tweeted out that picture of that penguin, yeah, but oh yeah, of uh, Mochi, yeah. yeah, and yeah, and like I didn't even that was crazy. Like people are like, oh, Nintendo's trolling, and I think I made a comment on Twitter that some sort of basically making fun of those people. Like, oh, you know, there's the Switch, there's the Switch Pro, the Switch Pro, the Switch Pro. Nintendo's a troll, and Nintendo's just like, here's some character art for a game that we're promoting because it's out in a month. Like it was, you know, it wasn't like the Chibi Robo on Fire one. Where it was, you know, twelve hours or so before they announced the direct, they dropped that image. Some people read it as such, but still. But yeah, it's one of those things where, they're, where there's smoke, there's not always fire. And um, I think what happened in this case is the fans ran with it. I know we speculated about it a ton on the show because that's just the news cycle. But uh, the media in general, beyond just Bloomberg, really ran with it. Like Bloomberg reported, but then some started talking about it as facts. Some started piling on things. Like it became a lot bigger. And we did. Like I was going to this whole demographic dive last episode about it. like oh well they're doing it now because it means this and that and next thing I still believe that demographic's there but like Nintendo obviously has data showing otherwise and and like I don't think I personally I honestly don't think Bloomberg got it wrong exactly like their tra- track record is pretty great from the original Switch to the Switch Lite to the revised battery model and the specific reporter who does this stuff Takashi uh, Mochizuki he's been on the Nintendo beat for years he did the exact same stuff with the exact same scoops all true when he used to write for the Wall Street Journal in like the Wii era and the Wii U era and you know even there like 4K was what everyone fixated on it was only one little part of this whole report he did the series of reports and everything else was spot on everything the OLED screen the OLED supplier the kickstand chain like it was all there so it's just you know, there, there's a reason I think that companies don't announce things until they're ready, right? Like plans can change. Something like a current global chip shortage, for example, can occur. I mean, um, that's literally – I mean you hit the nail on the coffin. Like they don't announce things until yeah. they're ready to be announced. Yeah, and I think so, – But I think there's always going to be like this kind of like rumor mill um, because – well, in the case of Bloomberg, they're talking to suppliers. They're letting their investors know what looks like is happening in the market. But yeah, it's not different than like um, when people find out about um, characters that were in production for Smash Brothers 64, Melee, or blah, blah, blah. Like if the internet was around the way it is now back in N64 days, they would have figured out like, like oh, Bowser's coming to Smash 64. Oh, Wario's coming to Smash 64. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, those characters, they didn't make the deadline. They got canned. Bowser made it in later. Peach was also supposed to make it in the first one. They know that people would be like, oh, the roster's so small, man. It would have been cool yeah. if this was there. 
But you know that didn't happen, and people loved the first one. Yeah, and I think and I think yeah. hardware is especially difficult compared to software because, like, you know, they make multiple prototypes. Obviously, it's not like one and done. And maybe at the last second, you know, no, yeah, the chip, they, they, they obviously explored. Yeah, this this, this was concept a long time ago. Probably this a hundred percent was a thing at one point. There was a four K chip that Nintendo was toying with. There's no way that like Bloomberg just out of thin air found this chip that no one's used and was like, oh, we bet Nintendo's using it. Like at some point they were prototyping this thing. And the fact that that happened did not translate necessarily to that becomes reality. And maybe it was. Maybe it was very close to becoming reality. And then they looked at the chip shortage and went, we can't produce enough. Or they looked at the power management. Maybe I know this has happened with Apple before. They make all sorts. Like they're notorious for doing this. Stuff gets leaked. You find out they have all these iPhones that like did all these things, but then something went wrong with the power management. Something went wrong with the face ID and they just do the most like simplistic conservative version. Uh, but the thing they did one time, I don't know if you guys remember, they did that three-in-one wireless charger where you could charge AirPods, iPhones, and Apple Watches all on one device and you just plop them down wherever you want. They didn't have, like, pre-designated spots. They announced it. It was a Never big happened. thing. And it just – exactly. Two years later, they canceled it. And no company want eggs on, wants uh, egg on their face like that. So, like, I, I do think in Nintendo's case, like, for as much sense as this handheld approach makes in hindsight – it is very possible that the decision to do so to lean on their legacy product patterns was in part due to external factors. Like one thing they very quickly confirmed with the Switch OLED, it's using the exact same GPU and the exact same CPU as the other models, which again, that is the handheld strategy. It's what the 3DS XL did. But also, it allows Nintendo to pump these things out without running into the supply shortages with chips really at all because they've had years to produce these components they had not just you know full assembly lines going, but likely stockpiles because they knew at the start of their fiscal year they were announcing they you know they're going to sell twenty some odd million switches this year. So they have the components ready to go. They can sidestep everything and still pump out this new system. And you know if it's just a matter of swapping screens and, and casings, like why wouldn't they take that opportunity to make people double dip for the screen? And then down the line they can triple dip with say. Maybe the 4K Switch does become reality in the same way that they got someone like me suckered into buying a 3DS XL in 2013 and then a new 3DS XL with a slightly better chip in 2015. So, you know, it's it's Nintendo that, – that's kind of been Nintendo's secret weapon this whole time, right? Like they have really kind of mastered the art of repackaging a product and reselling it to their core fans and then the ripple effect that comes out of that. Like lots of people trade in their systems or pass them to a younger relative or whatever when they upgrade, right? So – that means there's now all these other entry points into the Switch ecosystem, other opp- opportunities for Nintendo to start selling games to people. You know, that's the brand buddy, butter, the real money makers. So, like, sure, handheld strategy or chip shortage or last minute change or whatever aside, you know, whether the OLED 4K Switch was ever a real thing or whether it was just an OLED Switch and Bloomberg conflated the prototypes, who knows? But like, either way, Nintendo's getting way more money out of this strategy than anything else they would have done probably in hindsight now that we're here and seeing what's happening like you know folks who went by a switch at any official msrp who may only buy used or like get that hand-me-down they're buying the games like i was saying people who need the latest and greatest switch hardware no matter the features or costs like they're gonna they're already buying games but now they're coughing up 350 for an oled switch and there's people like you guys who want to maybe sit and wait for a real upgrade or a switch 2 or for whatever it ends up being you're still buying the games in the meantime. They didn't lose your money. Even if you, you know, like I was saying a few episodes ago and a minute ago about like the demographics um, and how I had this whole theory about, oh, they're trying, like the TV first demographic. And that's another audience that can get to double dip. And that's separate from handheld. And that's all still true, I'd say. It's just those people will keep buying until it's ready for them to 
buy the new console. Like they'll, no one's gonna go. Well, there's no 4K Switch. I'm never gonna buy a Nintendo Switch game again and just leave my Switch in it. Does like, I bet that that's is not one person and that person. No, yeah, yeah. But, no, there is. There has to be. Yeah, I mean, there's people the complaining is, uh, very... legitimately that like Age of Calamity doesn't run well on the Switch and games are getting bogged down. And as next gen expands further into its newer specs, it's gonna be hard for the Switch to keep up. And there's gonna be more cloud gaming and all that. And those are valid, but like I don't think. With all that happening, if Nintendo came out with Breath like of the Wild Nintendo 2, gonna keep... they're going to go like, no, I won't on principle because your Age of Calamity ran slow. Like, that's not going to be a thing. Yeah, it almost sounds like they're thinking like Nintendo is going to keep like developing games for, I don't know, stronger hardware that they don't have or something. Well, I mean, Age of Calamity yeah. literally was that issue. The frame rate's not great. <laughs> so, but that's, yeah, yeah but no, they, they optimized it. not been hardware. optimized. I mean, that one wasn't, I mean, who would made that game in particular uh tecmo koei team ninja yeah i mean yeah. i don't know is that is it arguably the biggest game that's on switch like, no but it was it was to be fair one of their flagship holiday games last year in a weird pandemic year yeah. but it was their big november release as you may recall so like there is some validity in that but again just because you thought Age of Calamity too. ran slow, you're not going to buy if you read a review saying breath of the wild 2 runs beautifully on switch you're not gonna go yeah but age of Calamity didn't I'm taking a stand. Like, I mean, maybe someone will, but not enough that Nintendo's going to be like, Top boy. Like that you're sh- using Age of Calamity of all games. Because that's the one that's right? most notoriously, like, bogged down. First party. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, no, I see your point. Yeah, it's Age of Calamity of all games. It's not even like the, the it's not like Odyssey. It's not yeah, like it's, Splatoon. Yeah, exactly. It's not yeah. those Odyssey or yeah. Breath of the Wild proper. Exactly. So, yeah, I think for now, like, Basically, in my, my like, assessment at this point with the Switch OLED, like, as I thought about it, Nintendo's going to squeeze money out of everyone every way they can. They have the data showing this works. They made the assessment. They have actual business degrees. Like, we can – I've rambled on this show about the reasoning for why this may happen or that may happen or next thing may happen. Obviously, Nintendo made the right choice with the OLED Switch. I bet you it's going to be big this holiday. And then, you know, 18 months from now, they'll get me to spend another $350 on a 4K Switch or something. So they, they got us hook, line, sinker. They know what they're doing. It just this thing got bigger than the 4K switch just got bigger than they could control in terms of the rumors, I guess. And we perpetuated it a little, not gonna lie, but or I did at least. But you know, you did, I did, yeah, yeah. I ain't taking any of that. But it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things. Like if that's where everyone, if that's where the conversation's going, and you're you talk about Nintendo, that's where the conversation goes. But um, but yeah, if we're talking, uh, unless you guys have any other thoughts on the Switch OLED, I probably exhausted the topic, but. Uh, yeah. I just kind of think that putting a, putting an OLED screen on this is kind of a waste considering the performance of some of the games as we were talking about. Like, Apex Legends is still going to look like crap on an OLED Switch. But it'll be OLED vibrant screen. crap, Kevin. Vibrant. Oh, great. <laughs> like, so that, that's, bu- that's the weirdest thing that, that, that I took from uh, the OLED Switch announcement. It's not going to make the games look, it's going to make, like you said, it's going to make them look a little bit more vibrant and a little bit brighter. Yep. But if the performance isn't there, why do like why would I buy another device for it? And but then again, the it, it is that... it is only like like you said, it's only a, a couple of cases. Whether it be uh, yeah, Asia Calamity, have one, it's a no brainer. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Asia Calamity, Monster Hunter apparently doesn't run uh, like has some spots where it doesn't run well. And not not Monster Hunter, uh, Monster Hunter Stories. Yeah, I was gonna say Monster Hunter. It's like even though that game looks like it should be chugging, it runs. Yeah, well. uh, stories does stories graphically apparently. look intense, as I yeah. know from the twenty-seven trailers they've released for it. But yeah. <laughs> like, good God, and then so many like, 
who knows about um crap what's a breath of the wild 2 or whatever they end up calling that game right right breath of the wild breath wilder yeah breathe wild breath or wilder yeah but uh yeah i mean it'll be interesting to see and i do think the other thing to your point about some games don't run well or look particularly particularly great like apex does look kind of muddy is uh when you have a bigger screen that's the same resolution because it's still 720 and it's still the same literal dimension uh, like pixel dimensions um everything's gonna be a little blown out so that's not gonna help either like it's gonna be a little you know all the pixels are slightly bigger so that'll be fun but then again with the 3ds xl that was the same case and it didn't look bad at all and that had the 3d going too on top of the blown out blown up pixels so maybe that's not a huge deal but yeah, I think I think if they could have done 1080p, that would have been cool. But then at that point, they had the power to do the 4K AI thing again. So you know, it's a circular. It becomes a circular thing. Um, but yeah, I did I did mention um, you know Nintendo has the market research, and it can maybe leave us scratching our heads. Um, but they know what they're doing. And then there's another company that had market research that left me at least scratching my head. But maybe they know what they're doing, and that is uh, the new Mario Watch. Andrew, I know you've seen it. Kevin, have you seen this watch? Yeah, I've seen it. It's, yeah. So for those who haven't, uh, Nintendo and luxury watch maker uh, tag, uh, is it Hewer? It's Hewer, right? That's how you say it? Hauer? Hewer? They're Swiss, so I'm not. Yes. Yeah. Well, anyway, those guys. Nintendo and their buddy Tag, uh, they unveiled a new collaboration for a Mario-themed watch that costs $2,150. So I'm going to pause there just to let that set in for a moment. $2,150. And fifty dollars, which sounds uh, insane. The fact that I could say I could get a Rhythm Heaven arcade machine for less than that is well, I, I can't justify it. How, how? Yeah. So you haven't mentioned this yet on the podcast, Andrew, but you are getting a Rhythm Heaven arcade machine, aren't you? That's the plan. How much is something like that, if you don't mind me asking? Like about fifteen hundred dollars. You could get a Mario Watch and or an arcade machine and a half for the Mario Watch's price. Yep, that's crazy. Imported. But yeah, now in tag Hewer, where are you going to put it? Yeah, that's actually a good question. You guys have no space. Oh, I have space. Actually, I already have the perfect spot for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Kevin. How's that for an answer? That, he I has mean, a spot. Yeah. I'll, I'll see. I'll see um, when it's there. Yeah, when's it supposed to arrive, Angel? Yeah, when it, I don't know. It's going to be a couple months. Oh, okay. Well, I'm excited. Have you actually purchased it, it yet, or is, or like you're planning to buy it? We're pretty much in talks, but it's like it's pretty much like it's, it's just a, it's for a me done to just deal. Go ahead at this point. Guarantee. It's a done deal. Gotcha. Thing. Yeah. Well, that's super cool that you're getting it. To be honest, like, because it's not just you're getting a Nintendo arcade machine. You're getting one a franchise you love, and two like a rarer arcade machine from them so that's pretty cool oh freaking rhythm heaven arcade machine when i found out those existed like not too long after we got rhythm heaven mm-hmm. ds because i got us really obsessed with that game and i just started looking up everything rhythm heaven then i discovered the game advanced game and then let me to learn about the arcade machine and at that point obviously it was like oh i just want to play one couldn't find one in japan when i went to japan twice like part of my time spent there was actually looking for this machine and now apparently I could get a brand new one, basically. Well, it's pretty much brand new, with like everything on it. All for less yeah, than I'll the price right here in this room. 
and for less than the price of a tag hero watch. Which, to be fair, you know, we're talking about like, oh, it's yeah. twenty one fifty for his Mario watch. Like all their watches are in that price range. Like that's not. The thing is, like that watch for being that price, like I feel like I don't know. Just looking at it aesthetically, like I don't really like it enough yeah. to even feel like it's worth even a thousand. Like the watch that I have, the Seiko one, it's like the golden Mario one. Like I don't know, it just looks very nice. I love that watch. Mm-hmm. Haven't worn it yet because it's still too big. I need to get rid of some whatever. Links in the band, yeah. Yeah, some links in the band. Like, yeah, like that one I feel should be worth a. Well, obviously not 2000 either, but if I saw these two watches side by side, I guess I would assume the Tag Hero one would be worth a little more just because they're like, oh, it's a smartwatch. That's probably really expensive. But I would still put it like in the right. couple hundred. Well, let's actually talk let's... because aesthetically, it's not that nice. Yeah. So for just mm-hmm. to catch people up who haven't seen it, so for this watch, it's a typical Tag Heuer watch. It's part of the connected line, which is Angel. You mentioned it runs Google's Wear OS, so it's a smartwatch. Uh, and what they did is it's basically a different colorway. So they put some Mario flourishes like iconography in places of three, six, and nine. I think it's like a mushroom, a warp pipe, and a star. There's a Mario M on the side crown. The color accents are red and uh, blue. You know, Mario ish. Um, and yeah, it's it's interesting because Tag here they do mechanical watches like that's what they cut their teeth on, that's what they're known for. That's you know they're a Swiss, a luxury Swiss watchmaker with mechanical that watches. Expression a thing like cut your teeth like I don't know, man. I'm just using well, the language that's been presented uh, to me. In my life. Just, <laughs> I don't know what the origin. Uh, of that I thought is. of just sounding, I thought of just sounding like a really unpleasant action. I'm just curious, but I know like it's one of your favorite ones because I definitely hear it a lot. My my guess. I was just curious if you knew, no, given how my, like how good you are at random facts. The only thing I could think whatever. of is it's a reference to animals because you know animals were like like their fangs are sharp and they will like gnaw on stuff to sharpen their teeth so they could go in for the kill better and be more skilled at their kill. Okay, so it that could is be definitely that. something rats do for sure. But I mean, it's I don't know. That's my guess. Anyone? In... Beavers, but they don't really cut them. They're like, they're sharp. Yeah, but them down. yeah, but I don't know. But anyway, point is, well, I guess I'll look it up. Yeah, the point is, uh, they do make mechanical watches normally. So this thing, if it was a mechanical watch, like design wise, yeah, I still personally, I'm like you, Andrew, I'm not hugely a fan of it, but it's a digital recreation of a physical watch design, I guess. Um, and you would think like, okay, if they're famous for mechanical watches, just make a mechanical watch with some Mario art. But, uh, what they did, as we already said, is they did a smartwatch. And what's kind of interesting there is like, I do like your Seiko one a lot, Angel. Like, I think it's really, like, actually quite classy looking for, like, a Mario watch. But I feel like if they were doing, like, a Mario watch that has, like, this sort of attention around it, it kind of, this is kind of a more interesting way to go. Whether or not it's executed well, like, the concept, like, you know, in the same way that Lego, like, got how Mario is about interactive experiences as much as the characters and really did, like, a whole new type of Lego for their crossover or how, like... Universal understands if they're going to do a theme park around Mario, it needs to be an interactive theme park, and they made like the power up wristbands. Like this seems like in its own limited way, Tag Heuer is kind of like trying to do the same thing because they have this hook, if you will, with this watch that Mario will respond to how you how active you are in a given day. So at quarterly increments, as you go towards your activity goal, he will play. He will pop up and play a different anima- animation. He pops out a warp pipe. He uses a mushroom. He gains a star. He eventually jumps on a flagpole. And, you know, everyone loves their watch, encouraging them to exercise, right? No? Just me? Guess so. Okay. But, um, but yeah, so, like, on paper, it does sort of check the box that would make, you know, of what makes Mario, Mario. Like, it responds to your input. In this case, it's just your activity. But still, it's 
it does do what it is interactive in a way. Like, you know, Mario in general is a simplistic experience. Run, jump, bop enemies. This too is very uh, minimal. But I don't know. Four anim- It feels like it's like not enough. Like four animations every day. Like, it, it, is that worth it at that point? Like, even my Apple Watch has like more variations of just boring text. Like, hey, you worked out today. Like, it's dozens of those. Like, they could. It, it, Nintendo is giving them these snazzy animations of Mario. And they do look really snazzy. I don't know if you guys watch the scissor reel for the watch, but like they are nice animations of Mario. And not ones from the games. They seem like sort of sort of custom thing. Um like run with it. Like have them make a few more than four. Like I, I don't know. Maybe they will in the future. Uh Tag's plan is to make the watch faces and activity tracker available on all their connected smartwatches ultimately. So it'll be a freebie for people to check out. Um, you know, if they own the watches already or if they get them separate from the Mario campaign. And if there's traction there, maybe they'll do updates with some new stuff down the line. But right now, like, they're asking people to pay 150 more than the already high-priced connected watch for literally three physical flourishes and four animations and, I guess, a couple watch faces. It I don't know. Like, it No weird. Google Wear watch is worth over no. $400. Especially because Google Wear is going bye-bye in favor of a Google Samsung. Well, Wear OS is going away in favor of Google and Samsung teaming up to make Wear which is not Wear OS. It's actually more based on Samsung's Tizen, but it ties into Wear OS. But it might be... I don't know if they retroactively will bring it to existing watches. It's its a mess. I'm always about it. It doesn't happen. I'm pretty sure you're right. Um, and, you yeah. know, I, to, but to the audience research thing I was saying at the Stars topic, like, they're learning this thing to 2,000 pieces. There maybe are 2,000 people who will snatch this thing up. You know, I joked on oh, Twitter absolutely, that, like... Oh, absolutely. Uh, There's yeah, going to be like 2,000 people that snatch this up. The dude who spent $1.5 million on a copy of Super Mario 64 the other day, like, this is pocket change for him. He's the demographic for this. He'll buy it. Um, but I just feel like even if they just flipped how they announced this, like, if they put emphasis on the watch faces across their entire line, and then for, like, the true fans, guess what? There's also this custom watch to go with it. Like, even just the flipping of that just seems, it feels better. Like, by emphasizing, by emphasizing the watch and then having the faces be secondary, it just feels so, like, ho-hum. I don't know. It's, it's... Not like I'm gonna go buy a two thousand dollar watch or even consider it, but I think I think the reason I had wanted to talk about this is like I feel like my big takeaway from this is that as Nintendo continues to expand its IP partnerships and licensing, not every single one's necessarily gonna be a slam dunk. Like yeah, Nintendo could partner with Tag Hewer and make two thousand of these at twenty one hundred dollars a pop, sure. But like they're still figuring out how to do this. I feel like if they were a little more grounded or a little, or their market research suggested that this that this could work, like it would have been really cool if they maybe teamed up with a bigger company like Fossil Group and they did super uh you know Super Mario themed watch faces on hundred dollar watches instead thousands of thousand uh, dollar watches. You know, like Fossil is like their wear watches for a couple hundred bucks and a much bigger audience and a much bigger opportunity to go further with the concept because they're developing it for a much bigger audience. It feels like. I don't know, a premium watch with an IP that isn't premium. Uh, I, it just, it, it, it's like a, de- it's like a demographic Venn diagram that's kind of empty in the middle. Apparently there's 2,000 people there, probably, but I don't know, it just seems like they, they could have gone one of two ways and they kind of like stepped halfway in each of the two ways and sort of this weird thing that we are now seeing come out. But, yeah. Um, I assume you guys aren't buying, well, I know Angel, you said you aren't. Kevin, I assume you're not buying it. <laughs> Why would I buy this? <laughs> I just want that. Why? I know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what exactly. It doesn't do enough. Like, if you're gonna do the Mario promoting exercise thing, have him go like all in. Like, yeah, I don't know. It feels so like not half ass, cause but kind of half ass. Um, 
But yeah, speaking of demographic crisscrosses, um, here's one that's very unexpected that happened this week uh, that I know that we wanted to touch on a little. Uh, Nickelodeon All-Stars Brawl, which somehow actually manages, now that I think about it, to borrow both Smash Bros. and PlayStation, PlayStation Battle All-Stars names in one title. You got Brawl for Smash and All-Stars. But uh, yeah, Nickelodeon's doing uh, the whole Smash Bros. thing with characters from, I think, throughout its history, right? I mean, we're talking the likes of like, Spongebob and Patrick's to, to Patrick to uh, Reptar from the Rugrats and characters from Loud House to, you know, Nigel Thornberry of the Wild Thornberries, Michelangelo and Leonardo from Ninja Turtles. I think they're with their, like, old school outfits too, right, Angel? Um, not so much outfits. Or it's just look, appearance, the that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of surprising considering they've had two original Nickelodeon Ninja Turtles. Like, you think they would promote either their current one, the Rise of the TMNT designs, or their actual CG one mm-hmm. that was just called Ninja Turtles. But, I mean, the game obviously looks like it's hitting more of a nostalgia. Yeah, and, and, more than and that's what's interesting is, like, memes aside, and there are a lot of them, people seem, like, into this, like, kind of legitimately. And I don't fully understand why, honestly. <laughs> like, it's, I guess it's cool from the nostalgia perspective, but, like, is there who, – who is making this? What it like? Why? What's the? Yeah. So, yeah, you'd think this would get like the same amount of reception that you know, like uh, Cartoon Network Punch Time Explosion, XL, or even Nickelodeon or like Kart Racers from like two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, but like I mean, those like they came and went like no one cared. But like since I do follow a lot of Smash circles, like yeah, this one is getting a ton of hype, and it's because it's being developed by I don't remember the name of the the team, but they're responsible for a game called Slap City, which is one of the most popular Smash clones that was developed essentially by Smash fans for Smash fans to offer like a kind of like a hybrid between like Nintendo 64 Smash and Melee. So you have like more simplistic character designs of 64 and levels like 64, but you have a lot of the tech from Melly, basically wave dashing. And on top of that, it also has something called rollback netcode, which the long and short of it is that, well, the short of it is that for a fighting game, rollback netcode is like, you can't really get much better than that, basically. So, um, yeah, and as a result... So what, what does that mean, rollback netcode? Like, what does that actually do? Uh, I'm not 100% sure exactly how it works, but... I mean, obviously, both people still need to have, like, a decent online connection. Like, that just, like, has to happen. But in a nutshell, like, the alternative is what most people have, which is delay-based netcode, which instead of, you know, running the game normally, it will slow down both parties so that, you know, they can essentially catch up to each other in gameplay. So, you know, essentially, once it's going to be getting, like, a ton of lag and... Like, that's never fun. So even if, like, one person is slightly behind on the other, it's just going to either, like, the game is going to proceed normally, but your inputs are going to be delayed, which is really annoying. Or it's going to move, like, at a PowerPoint's pace. I see. Yeah. Um, rollback netcode is essentially trying to resolve those issues as much as it possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, but to my understanding, it, it almost makes it, like, if both people have a good connection, people will say that playing with rollback netcode is like you're playing like in person. Like it's apparently that good. And this has that. 
which is kind of surprising considering, you know, Smash Brothers doesn't have rollback, Street Fighter V doesn't have rollback, like a bunch of really high-profile games don't have rollback netcode, only like very few of them. I don't even know. If the most recent uh, Arc System games have rollback, so Grand Blue Fantasy Versus has rollback, and then Guilty Gear, the one they just released, has rollback. And there's a huge push for them to add rollback to fighters, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Damn. It's crazy oh, yeah, that a Nickelodeon fighting game is ahead of the curve so on like half pretty much. is going to have better netcode than Smash? Yeah, or like or yeah, so anything except the... the Arc System work games based on what you're oh, saying. Oh, and then that uh that Power Rangers yeah. fighting game. Uh, oh, Battle for the, the Grid. Oh, yeah. Also that one also has rollback. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we, what is with these which gets a lot of hype and support for for having that. And, you know, people really love that game. And this one, like, you know, because it has, I guess, for lack of a better... Well, I won't say for lack of a better term. Because it has the pedigree that that indie studio developed, you know, over the course of developing Slap City. Mm-hmm. Like, rightly deserved, I should say. Um, yeah, like, they're essentially shaping up to make this game that it's going to... Actually, be good. Just have a lot of eyes on it, and this is kind of where, like I mentioned, that the that the title kind of comes into play because it is competing with Smash, which, in spite of it not having rollback netcode, people still put up with it because of just how big it got. I mean, we're what approaching eighty to ninety characters. I don't even know the number anymore, but um, yeah. I mean, we're getting. I don't know how... I mean, Nickelodeon has a ton of characters they could pull from, but I don't know. I'm already seeing a lot of discourse on, oh, I hope this character makes it in, oh, I hope that character makes it in. But I guess let's see if all, none, or maybe even a few more make it in, or... I mean, they are pulling pretty deep from the roster, it seems, and I don't know how much of that is, like, the Slap City devs going like, oh, let's get Cinnamon Toast Man or whatever Excuse you, it's Powdered Toast Man. Did you not watch uh, Ren Stimpy? Oh, no. okay. <laughs> End of conversation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, kind of like to that effect. Like, I mean, everyone, I watched a few, there's a few people on YouTube that, like, I'll, I'll watch their, I don't typically don't watch reaction videos, but there's a few that I'm like, I'll watch the reaction video just because I'm curious how they would react just because they're, like, from a different age group that I'm just genuinely curious, like, Oh, what's he going to think about this? Because they're just, you know, they're more grew up on He-Man when we're more grew up on, you know, Pokemon. And um, yeah, surprisingly, like, you know, it, this is really hitting a nice sweet spot with, it seems like, a lot of people. I mean, obviously, they were just about, I already forgot his name. Bread Powdered Toast, toast Man. man. <laughs> you know, like... I was kind of pleasantly surprised that Zim is yeah. in there. I love that Reptar yep. got picked as a Rugrats rep. I mean, obviously, I'm just about the two Ninja Turtles, though, personally. I mean, because there are four animated series, I thought it'd be cool if they had maybe, like, Michelangelo represent, like, the classic. Leonardo represent the 2003 series. And, you know, pretty much have each turtle represent one that of the four. Be, that would have been actually really cool. Be- yeah. And... And they all could... Oh, they would all play a little differently. Have Donatello represent the newest one because he has, like, a mechanical shell robot doohickey thing that just lends itself I don't know if to do whatever they want with it but you know or they could just be costumes which would kind of work but I guess we'll have to see I, I do think to your point but, though like the the yeah, roster can be oh and the stages look really nice a lot of these like I, I, I am kind of 
pleasant surprise, which kind of gets me excited about the game a little, like how many things I recognized just from moves. Just like, I mean, stages are stages. I mean, I saw the Technodrome from Ninja Turtles that looked cool. I saw the fly, the Frying Dutchman's mm-hmm. ship, which looked cool. And I mean, that episode is like a classic. But then there was like a move that Patrick did where it looked like a down air, you know, like a typical like Toon Link sword thrust down kind of attack. But it was him putting himself inside an ice cream cone. And I'm like, oh, he, that's the episode he did. It. That's what he did in the Olympics for like the ice cream drop or whatever. And it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, just like they could have just done the, I guess, what's it called? The Cartoon Network punch time explosion route and just kind of give most of the characters punch and kicks. But it looks like they're actually trying to pull from, you know, their history the way Smash Brothers does, which kind of makes this more exciting. Yeah, I think that's honestly the thing it really is going for is like, the team behind it, the the Slap City guys, are just doing such a good job of paying tribute and bridging the gaps of different Nickelodeon generations. Because you you know everyone you riled off is like we grew all, all, everyone grew up with different Nickelodeon. Like they even have more recent stuff. Like you know like yeah. Zim is paired with Phantom, which is more you know mid two thousands. But then like you have uh, like All Real Monsters paired with Hey Arnold. Like every generation, so to yeah. speak, is there. Nigel, yeah, Thornberry. Nigel Thornberry. Yeah, they're all kind of there. Yeah, m- most people from. Most people from our generation are pretty much able to recognize every character, mm-hmm. even if they don't watch the show, except for two that were on there, which I only recognize because I still keep up with current cartoons on Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. Right. Which is Lincoln Loud and Lucy, which is just from, like, I guess the new... It's not quite SpongeBob caliber in terms of popularity, but it's the only other show I could think of in the last decade that has literally, like, made the... You know, if you go to the TV mm-hmm. guide... If you go to Cartoon Network, it's like 90% Teen Titans Go and like 10% everything else. And in Nickelodeon, it's like 90% SpongeBob and 10% everything else. But this show, The Loud House, managed to actually get it almost 50 50. Wow. That's a lot. Which, you know, it's kind of ridiculous because it's like when you go to Cartoon Network, I mean, to Nickelodeon, you're either going to see a ton of Loud House or a ton of SpongeBob. Because I guess that show just did really well. It's just a more grounded comedy, which. Maybe plays to his strengths. I mean, maybe plays to his benefit because, you know, Spongebob is very out there and as is a lot of cartoons at the time right, right now. Very high energy. Very uh, YouTube, YouTube low, generation. random humor. Yep. Yeah, th- this one definitely takes it a little slower. It's still a little high energy sometimes, but I can appreciate some episodes. They're like, oh, this is just normal, cleverly funny. I think the only part yeah. of Nickelodeon they haven't covered is like the early early days like Rock I mean I guess they have ran Stimpy but like Rock with Modern Life like Stick Stickly <laughs> yeah they literally have like, they literally have Rugrats and Ren and Stimpy that's two of the three Nicktoons that started Nickelodeon cartoons yeah that's true but yeah they, I, they should get Stick Stickly in there that's all and, I'm saying and if you look at the I guess the the cover they released it's all silhouetted but like, people were able to make out Cat Dog as a character. You, you could make out Ren and Stimpy. You could make out Aang and, or Ong, I'm not really sure what it, how you pronounce it. And Korra from Last Avatar or Last Airbender. Last Avatar. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a mother fellow in there. So, yeah, it's shaping up to be good. And people are already, you know, memes are already oh, all yeah. over the place. Like, there's that classic one where people, I think there's a, that picture from Toy Story 2 or 3 where Andy's throwing. Woody into a garbage pail, like, I don't want to play with you anymore. And, you know, just replacing it with Ultimate. Or, you know, or just, you know, parroting, like, the DLC packs and showing, like, oh, here comes Rocco and 
some other character than the last one is Byleth. <laughs> my my yeah. favorite one of those. Well, it's not really me, but my favorite idea someone had is so Nickelodeon when they had Nickelodeon Studios down in Florida. Want you know how Nick in the '90s their logo is always different shapes. Like the sli- the orange slime would take the shape of like a splat or like a ball or like. So uh, at the studio yeah. they had a foot. So the Nickelodeon logo was on like a bare foot, and so I was like, "Hey, I mean, if Smash Bros. can have Master Hand, Nickelodeon Battle All Stars or All Star Battle, whatever it's called, can have Master Foot, and like literally just use the logo as the final boss, which would actually be kind of funny." So, I'd be all. I'd be I really all hope it. whatever they pick for a final boss is like some, yeah, like maybe if the orange slime is shape shifting, because I mean, I have taken like you said a lot of shapes, especially those bumpers mm-hmm. where they have like the nick 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 nick. Yes. They could definitely have fun with I, it. I think it's but. it's surprising how well this works. And I think it really is a tribute to the developer to actually carry. Because, I mean, they're even doing stuff like we talked about, you know, the netcode. But even, like, they're doing their own version I mean, of the, the trophies. Theory, they're the, doing the, in-game art unlocks, like spirits and trophies and Smash. Like, they're doing everything that they could possibly do. So it's not a quick and dirty yeah, license cash-in, it doesn't seem like. Yeah, and yeah, the developers definitely makes the biggest difference. Because, like... Smash up, you know, the Ninja Turtle Smash Brothers didn't get this much, you know, praise. And unfortunately, it, it tried to be both Smash Brothers and not Smash Brothers. It was like some weird in between PlayStation All Stars and Smash Brothers. Like it had a health bar, but you could also bring people out. And I don't know. At least this one, it's clear, like, yeah, we know we're Smash clone. We're embracing that. We're going to do the ring outs. I mean, only Smash Brothers has really done mm-hmm. it well. So it's nice to try. I mean, why not let other people try it? I mean, there's like a bajillion other kart races yeah, over there. Yeah. And I would, and I still stand by um, Martin Sonic Transformed or Martin Sonic. <laughs> Sonic Racing uh, Transformed. Sonic All-Stars, whatever. Yeah, that one. I still say that's my favorite kart racer, even though I don't remember the name properly. <laughs> you love it so much. You GTR don't know comes really close. Yeah. And even Sonic R or Sonic Racing was really good. The recent one, I was just kind of hoping for a sequel to Transformers. Oh, uh, Team Sonic like Racing? Yeah. The aspect Team Sonic Racing is actually yeah. getting a re-release like was, this like, year for the 30th anniversary, supposedly. I, don't I was know about to say, yeah, they, they, there was some sort of announcement for it. Yeah, like, it got li- like the box got leaked. Uh, of all the yeah. games, remake Transformed. Don't have any to remake it. Just like re-release it. It's already HD. I want to plug in my <laughs> Just Wii throw it back out there. Well, that's yeah. a yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah. Like, literally, don't release it. Just... Oh, just have better yeah. performance, which is great. Because some levels on the Wii U kind of chugged a little. Yeah, I mean that was a graphically but intense game. It. Surprisingly, like it, like some of the landscapes and environments yeah, it, they it, made it were made, really intricate. Yeah, it, it literally made like the transformation aspect of Mario Kart Eight Deluxe, or just Mario Kart Eight in general, seem like just less impactful. It's like here are full on like flying sections that actually feel like they have different mechanics, and you know, same thing with the speedboat. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the gliding and water sections, I feel, don't really add much outside of just, like, connecting two segments of a level, whereas the other ones change the way the game plays altogether. But, you know, I, mean, I still love Mario Kart, but, yeah, All-Star, I mean, Transformed definitely did something and it, and it carved its own path, which maybe, you know, maybe Nick and can do, too. And Sega knows, because, yeah. Yep. Um, and it's out this fall, so He's we'll find out sooner be... rather than later. <laughs> I mean, watch this get like nominated game for like year. fighting game of the year. Imagine it winning yeah. at the game awards. Somehow beat like Strive. Can you imagine oh, that man, basically that the batons? Be... People would be both really happy and confused because it's like the fact that this made it over. I feel like Guilty Gear Strive is obviously getting a lot of praise. I just 
see people being it, all over that It game, is sort but... of the perfect passing of the baton because right as Smash ra- wraps up its last fighter DLC later this year, you know, Nick's going to show up. So if the game's good, and if this is more than just memory in terms of people's interests, obviously not Smash scale whatsoever. But, you know, th- it is kind of like this weird spiritual, like, oh, well, Smash is done. Now we turn to Nickelodeon and its characters. But we'll see. And who knows when this fall is coming out. All we know is fall. Yeah. But yeah, that that is well, unless there's anything else you want to say, Angel, that was Nickelodeon All Stars Brawl. No, just looking forward to it. Only question is what console to get it on, because you know, knee jerk reaction would be like, Oh, get on the Switch, but then I'm like, wait, why not get it on something more powerful? So it's like I could get it on my PS four or on PC, which apparently is coming at some point. So, I don't know. I guess I'm gonna, just going to have to go with, with whatever the majority of the people I would be playing it with get are it. You, are you anticipating so, a large group of your friends buying it? Um, the Smash Bros. Okay, Discord. Fair. They're all going to get it, you think? Uh, it looks like most of them and are not to, get At least the ones that I would play Not with. to, uh, you know, make fun of you guys too much, but this is the Smash Discord that you said was going to beat a cosplay group who doesn't play Smash but ended up losing, right? Yeah, because they literally we didn't play against the cosplay group. I know, I know. I just remember that episode. (laughs) We're like, oh, we're gonna kill these people this weekend. We're like, are you though? And like a week later, like, yeah, we didn't. (laughs) Good times. I know. I I pulled my way. I killed all the people that I beat. The rest of the team. You did what had to be done. Didn't pull. It just wasn't enough. Yeah, I took out like four or five of them. Actually, I think it was eight. No, it was four or five. No, it was. I think it was a bigger. I don't remember. But, you killed so many, yeah. you couldn't even keep count. Anyway. Is what you're saying. No, we, we we got really overconfident because we had, at that point, we were like, we had there's no way we can lose. And then they just weren't ready for a Little Mac that took out, I think, just as many people that I took out, pretty much doing away all the work that I did. But yeah. now, now I know for next time, never underestimate cosplayers. Let that be a life lesson. If there's one thing you take away from this episode, just never underestimate cosplayers. So yeah, that's Nickelodeon. Uh... <laughs> I guess um, there's also Fuser, the other individual game we were going to talk about this episode. Um, have either of you tried Fuser? No, right? No. Okay, no. so um, this one is a bit older of a release. It came out last holiday, so, oh, you know, eight months old. Oh, man. But um, in light of it just having one of those free Switch Online game trials, I wanted to touch on it a bit because I I get it now. I understand it. Like, Fuser is always in this weird gray area for me because it – isn't visually as easy to figure out as something like Rock Band or Guitar Hero. There's a cursor, there's Almar along the top, you drop some sick beats or whatever, but like it's not instantly recognizable like how you're supposed to do that. And um, so that was kind of instantly like, oh, that's a little off-putting. But then on the other hand, you've got the pedigree of its developer, Harmonix. Uh, you know, that pedigree is really bar none if you, look, if you like music games, especially if you were a big fan of Rock Band or Guitar Hero like I was. And I feel like I, I feel like with our history or my history or our history with those games in particular, it's really the sweet spot for us. I mean, maybe you're, you're a bit younger, Kevin, so maybe not. But like Angel, you and I, that was college right there, like Rock Band Guitar Hero. And I know that. Sean, about you're significantly older. Wait, what? By five months. Wait, hold on, hold on. Say what you. What did you say about me, real quick? I said you're a bit I, younger, I so maybe something. Rock Band Guitar Hero didn't have quite the same sweet spot for you as it did for us in college. Oh no! What are you talking about? I guess dude? high That's schoolers. All I used it. to Elvis play. Elvis was all over that. Yeah. Okay. 
Jesus. So high school that's and college, but dude, I think that that's a Guitar Hero Rock Band is all that I used to play. I had the Rock Band Kids when the Guitar Hero did its own Rock Band with the World Tour. I bought that. Please, I didn't know you were so into it. This guy, man. First, guy. I first I say you like Breath of the Wild a few episodes ago. Now I'm saying you don't like Guitar Hero. It's like I don't I don't even know you. Who are you? Or who am I? I Guitar Hero Three had the best set list. Yeah, actually, it did. It really did. Um. But yeah, I feel like for 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 me at least, and I guess Sora for Angel because we were we're the same age. Um, like this was one of the games that like you know they say I guess high school could do it too. But like, there's some games that like just having it in college makes it so much better. You know, like everyone has like a Mario Party or a Mario Kart or a Smash Bros or a, a Madden or a Twisted Metal or one of our friends was saying Excite Truck the other day. Like really, any multiplayer centric game has that like collegiate boost where if you have a group of people around your age all always available, it's really fun to play. And I just feel like Rock Band and Guitar Hero, like when they went, when, when Guitar Hero went full band, really, um, there was just, they were such social experiences to begin with. Like, you could play solo, but having like three friends in your dorm or apartment jamming out to whatever song, like, I don't know, Danny California or whatever in rock band, that just felt like the way to play. Like, maybe with some drinks, maybe rotating with a group of friends. Like, I feel like if you played rock band any other way, it, I, I mean, maybe you would disagree, but I feel like the experience wasn't the same. It's like having that group of, that would always play with you. And, like, Angel, how, how often would you say we end up playing those games in college? Because there's a year or two that, like, it was, I feel like all the time. Early, oh, or at uh, least you were in the room when it was being played. With you, you're at least in the room, <laughs> you were definitely there. It usually be like Victor and me, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, like literally every single household had one of the band games. If it wasn't Rockstar, it was Guitar Hero World Tour. But yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it, yeah, was, it was a, a staple of just about every kind of game night. That was not yeah, exactly, was and because it because everyone played it, like even. It was a very casual yeah, and, game. Yeah, and, you know, it, it was kind of a – that cottage industry of, like, that sort of social music game did – it did go belly up. You know, too many new pieces of plastic, too expensive, too many versions like Rock Band Beatles and Guitar Hero Aerosmith and all that. But I really do think overall, like, that music game subgenre where you're not playing to the music like a rhythm game, but you're playing the music, like, it, it's a lot of fun – especially if you're big into music itself and it's something that kind of doesn't exist anymore which brings us back to Fuser because it's a game that I feel like is trying to simulate in an arcadey way the feeling of being a big DJ in the same way that like Guitar Hero did a rock star I mean not exactly the same because there was DJ Hero which literally had a note highway just a little different I mean more conceptually here because how Fuser works um, like I said is you have this row of songs up along the top of the screen with different genres and each song has these four different elements you can pull from to add to your mix each map to a different face button on the controller uh there's the beat the bass the melody and the vocals and then your dj like deck which occupies the lower half of the screen also has four corresponding slots so with a press of the corresponding face button for beat or bass or melody or vocals these slots are then filled and the new element starts to sink into what you're already mixing and that like part of the music starts building in uh, and if you want more points, what you do is you drop it on the downbeat, which is measured by a small meter, both um, on the album art up top and within a larger like timeline bar on your main DJ deck. So it's not just about like, I want to hear this, I want to do that. You got to time your button presses with those downbeats, which so far with my experience, so far, I'm, I'm done playing it. With my experience, it was, uh, you know, like the typical pop song, like 4-4 four, four beat. But uh, maybe that changes as you go on. But the game... 
actually kind of interestingly handles all the blending for you. So nothing clashes too badly. Some stuff is weird. Some songs don't necessarily make sense together, but it never doesn't mesh. You know what I mean? Like it always like will be kind of in tempo with one another and that sort of thing. But you can definitely hear differences when you're on beat with your placement with that downbeat versus when you're not. And um, you do not only have that auditory feedback, but there's also a point system and in-game crowd reactions and that sort of thing. So that's kind of the basic structure. You have the beats, you drop them in on the downbeat, and that's pretty much it. But from there, what Harmonic started doing was layering up the gameplay. So if you perhaps want two beats uh, instead of a beat and a bass line, yeah, you can do that. Just instead of tapping the face button, you now drag and drop the song from the top of the screen with the cursor to the spot you'd like to use, and it will replace whoever's playing. So if you want to replace a vocal with another, you know, a second bass line or something, you just kind of drag it on top, let it go. And uh, then they just keep piling on. And that's what gets kind of fun is, like, they really start adding stuff. So, like, you know, like many DJs, what if you want to have another thing queued up as you're mixing together other stuff, and then you just kind of insert it, but sort of, like, preset there's a cue thing to do that, which is a button press. And what if you want, say, fewer elements player playing at once? Well, the deck itself has its own controls you can use with the cursor to do things like muting or swapping out a track completely. Um, you know, taking a live track and putting it back in the queue, taking a cue, putting it in track. Uh, if they want to just have one of the four elements play, you can do that and kind of phase out the others. You can cut one off and just get rid of it without replacing it. Like, there's all these different things you can do. It is a lot to take in. Um, but Hermox does sort of hold your hand through it, the, particularly in the story single-player mode. Um, it's like they keep introducing new elements and they sort of guide you through it. Um, but once you kind of get going, like, it's just really fun. Like, you, you can even mess with tempos and tones and do all sorts of other, like, things with the overall music. And it's 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 cool. It's like the the gameplay mechanism is it's relatively simple. It's very different than Guitar Hero, but it's relatively simple once you figure it out. And then they just start kind of piling things on top. And then where the uh, actual like challenge comes in is they then have the crowd. So kind of like in Guitar Hero where there's cheers and boos if you nail or miss notes, um, here the crowd will actually make requests. So you're doing your thing, you're messing with your tempos, you're doing whatever, and as you're playing, there'll be these little speech bubbles with a couple words and an icon, and you need to try to mix in that request before the timer of it runs out. So stuff like adding a bass line in a pop song, or maybe playing two concurrent beats, or doing something with the vocals, or speeding something up, or slowing something down. And these requests come in faster and faster, so you're mixing kind of what you are here but also to what the game wants you to do and that's kind of where the challenges come in and uh that's in the hmm. so like fusing yeah fusing like Like fusing fusing? it's like it's almost called fuser for a reason yeah um and this and this like request system it's in the single player mode but it's also in the game's other big mode battle um i haven't actually tried it myself but from my understanding, going head-to-head uh, against other people, you are trying to rack up the most points by keeping your mixes as steady as possible on the downbeat, but also taking as many requests as you can. So it's kind of that fun little, you know, and, and obviously you want to not be distracted by your opponent, who's presumably in some way being shown to you as well. I don't really know, because that's the odd thing about it. Uh, maybe understandable, given how much screen space you need for all the albums and decks and cursors flying around. But what's odd is there is only online play. And this is the biggest pitfall of the game, I think. There's no local multiplayer, which suddenly makes this almost like the opposite of a Guitar Hero or a Rock Band experience because there's no in-person social aspect. There's no like, oh, let's gather around and do it or whatever. Like, it's still fun, um, presumably. Like, I didn't get to try it myself, but I feel like it's missing that extra little part. Because, like, you know, when you do Guitar Hero or Rock Band together, even before the band set up in Guitar Hero, you're, like, doing dueling guitars. Like, you're staying there with the two guitars. Like, it, it felt like something... This, it's all just like 
you're seeing points, presumably. So I don't know how that translates to the longevity or the replayability of the game, but it is something worth noting. Another kind of odd decision is that the game uses a, uh, as I mentioned, a cursor, right, to press what amounts to these big buttons on the screen, and yet no touchscreen support in handheld mode. I get it's a multi-platform release, but it just seemed like it would have been kind of a no-brainer to use a touchscreen for at least some of the deck controls or dragging and dropping the music if you want to, like, double up beats or something. And, you know, for aspects where touch doesn't make sense, like maybe the deck controls are too small physically on the Switch, but maybe on the OLED Switch, Switch they're bigger. But let's say they're too small, right? Like, the Joy-Con has the same face buttons on both sides, so you can do a combo of touch plus face button, and it will be fine regardless of which hand the person is, like dominant hands. So it... It could have worked, but, you know, that aside, um, coming on my time trying Fuser, I was actually really surprised by how well it works and how fun it can be just, like, taking the crowd request and kind of building your own beats. Uh, you definitely could kind of, like, get in a groove in a zone when, when things are, like, clicking right. Uh, it's it's definitely not the same level of pickup and play as Guitar Hero or Rock Band, but if you're willing to learn the systems and the kind of layers and you just like music, there's over 100 songs in this. There's DLC with, like, 30 more, and I think there's more coming. It, it, it's everything from somewhat older to, like, you know, like the weekend's blinding lights is in there to some more uh, other modern stuff. So it, it's a full mix, um, and it is a fun time. It's currently forty bucks. Admittedly, I'm not sure if I pulled the trigger at that price because I don't know what there is besides the story mode, like battle online. I don't know if that's like enough. Um, and I think there's a freestyle mode where you could just like mess with beats and there's no challenges. Which for me, I'm not that sort of creative person. I want like a reason or a goal or linearity. So, but if they were to drop the price by 10 or 20 bucks in a sale, yeah, I, I would, it would have my attention. It's a fun experience. There is a demo on the eShop. So if you did miss the game trial, it's something that you have to kind of experience for yourself. It, I feel like for some people it's going to be really awesome and others it just will not click. Um, but if it clicks for you, it, it's actually pretty cool. It just isn't as mainstream as Rock Band or Guitar Heroes. So, so that's Fuser. Um, it's definitely, you know, a unique experience. There's nothing quite like on it, like it on the Switch. Um, which I guess, to shift gears a bit, will bring us to our final topic of the episode. Um, unless you guys had any burning questions about Fuser. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I guess not. It sounds, uh, sounds like quite the package. Somewhat. I mean, in terms of what you can do, yeah, in terms of the amount of content you can do it in, maybe. Well, well I mean, also just like, and just like the way the Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely games, unique, especially. yeah. It's it's pretty different than any other rhythm game. Yes, it's definitely nice to hear that because you know, like, not everything has to be a hit to the licensed music thing. I mean, like, like we've already talked about on this podcast, like Rhythm Heaven is a fun unique. Oh, take well, on well Angel, to be clear, you're DJing a hundred real hits, but yeah, it's not you're manipulating them. It's not like yeah. No, yeah, yeah, but but it's not sim- yeah, but it's not yeah. simply the you know. The same track thing that we're yeah very totally, used and to. that and that's what's kind of nice about it and why I think it's worth you know taking a look at if you if you if I mean if anything I guess you could say it's a nice take on the yeah it, track really really yeah if you've had any game. interest in any like music game it, I would say it's worth your time to at least look at like if you ever bat an eye DJ Hero at still the trailer to like that. take the time to try it yeah um but yeah to now switch gears a little bit like I was saying we got one more co- one more topic to cover and that is Metroid it's the second entry in the anniversary series in which we kind of just reflect on one of the many many franchises celebrating an anniversary in 2021 and uh you know with the switch oled what oh we're doing what this oh wow all right well, really i know you know thing. i told you in advance Ooh. you even said okay oh but, well, yeah but really. no the reason i was thinking this episode makes sense is because the switch oled model comes out 
in tandem with Metroid Dread, and it even has the colors of Metroid Dread. The black and white model looks straight up like an Emmy. That's EMMI. The bad guy is not the awards. Uh, and the neon red and blue isn't too far removed from Samus's new costume. So, you know, if we're going to pick any episode to talk about Metroid, that's kind of a slower one where we have the time to do the anniversary series, might as well do this one and celebrate the 30th anniversary. Um, and Metroid's kind of an interesting one, too, because it's really, in my mind, almost like two separate series. There's like the 2D Metroids, and there's the 3D Metroids. And do, do you guys even have a preference one over, over the other? Like, is there one you tend to gravitate more, more towards? Not really, because I like entries in both types of Metroids a lot. What would you say your favorite entry was overall, but, then? I mean, I, but I mean, I guess if I had to pick one type of Metroid, I guess I do prefer the first-person yeah. one. Because I didn't get into Metroid until Metroid Prime slash Metroid Fusion, because those came out at the same time. And, like, I remember, I think I remember, like, being at a Toys... Toys R Us, KB Toys, whichever, like as a youngin, and seeing like Super Metroid on the shelf and being asked, like, oh, like, what game do you want to get? And I think I got the Tasmanian Devil <laughs> game instead, which I okay. don't regret because obviously, like, I still managed to get a copy of Metroid eventually. So, if anything, I'm glad I got to play this random game that I otherwise now probably wouldn't have even put a second thought to. But, you know, Metroid is still very much in the conscious, mm-hmm. conscience of conscience <laughs> yeah it's still very much like you know in everybody's mind that's a nintendo fan so you know they also re-release it like every console yeah the old ones yeah but um but yeah i mean metroid prime was just i think that was also like the first like first person game that i ever really got into so it was like it just hit a lot of points like i don't know the music i think part of that i would probably have the most nostalgia for Mid- the prime series specifically one and two Three I really liked as well, but by then, I don't know, I think there was probably like a big enough gap that I think I still prefer two. I still really love one. I think I just like the level design of two more than one, but you know, it makes sense. It's a sequel. They're obviously going to improve on it. And I could say the same mm-hmm. thing about part three. But um, there was a part of three or something about three that I remember it feeling a little really repetitive with the progression that kind of bogged it down a little bit because I remember... I had to finish it like in two periods like I got like halfway through and then I just kind of stopped playing it and then I had to enough time passed that I didn't remember what I was doing and couldn't figure it out so I restarted then I stopped again and then eventually I think it was probably like in college that I actually went back and beat it so I mean I still ended up loving the game but yeah it wasn't like the first two where I was hooked from like the entirety of the game and then Fusion, I mean, I love that game's atmosphere. That one made me excited for Zero Mission, which then got me to try Super Metroid. But I don't know what it is about Super Metroid. I just can't get myself to finish it, even though it's a really short game. Like, I know it's good. I know people lot it as, like, one of the best games of all time. But I don't know. I just don't know what it is about it. I could maybe play, like, an hour or two into it, but then I just kind of lose interest. Whereas, you know... I love the remake of Return of Samus. I did play through the original Samus Returns 2. I actually had the Game Boy cartridge um, after, way after it came out, obviously. But yeah, the original Metroid, I've obviously tried starting it many, many times, but could just never do it. But pretty much everything after Super Metroid that was actually mm-hmm. released 
Um, I really loved, and yeah, I guess I go for any of the Metroid games. Oh, I mean, and I don't like Jason loves one. Yes, I do. Thank you. I was trying to figure out how to bring that up, but you you took care of it. Yes. Don't sleep on Metroid Pinball, people. It is surprisingly great. Yeah. Yeah, that and Star Force Commander, the only games I remember using the the Rumble Pack. But, yeah. I mean, oh man, the music of Metroid Prime is really good. I mean, the music of Metroid in general, though they do tend to lean hard on a lot of the main themes, so it is kind of nice when you hear something new. Like, I, as much as I love the Magmar Carbon's themes, I feel like if I have to listen to it, if, if there's a new lava area and they use that track again, I'm, I'm just going to be disappointed. But, yeah. What, what about you, Kevin? Where, where, where'd your Metroid journey begin? Oh, boy. Where does it begin? It probably begins with Fusion and then on to Zero Mission, then to uh, Prime 1, Prime 2. Never got to play Prime 3. Oh, actually, where does Hunter's show up in there because Hunters is in there for sure it's uh is it after no after two it, I think it's after two yeah because it came out it yeah it's well it came out after two. yeah it came out after two and before three pinball so. yeah it came out after pinball as well I don't know I don't know if pinball's canon I hope it is because that means we might get a sequel one day <laughs> just because they need to think of it in the broader well, picture I mean it, it's a it's a retelling didn't they spin off some stuff? Like, didn't they do something different in it? I seem to remember it doing like taking it in a different direction. Maybe not. Maybe no, not. I mean, everything everything was there. You fight the Omega Pirate. You fight Mecha Ridley. You fight Metroid Prime itself. Okay, at never the mind end. then. Yeah, yeah, it's not there. Literally, just a pinball version. You fight Chozo Ghosts. Like it's it's crazy how much they mm-hmm. adapted from it. It's like they went above and beyond. It's kind of nuts. So, regardless, yeah, say, so Kevin, where were Hunters, you? <laughs> uh, uh, and then eventually I got around to going back and beating the the older Metro games. No, I I love the series. Um, super excited for Dread. I'm glad that they are finally acknowledging that the series exists, especially considering how long they were silent on Metroid anything. Yeah, since they announced Prime Four. Yeah, yeah that favorite. Favorite 2D, probably uh, Fusion. Favorite 3D, I'd probably give it to Hunters, honestly. Just because of the atmosphere and being able to move around and shoot at the same mm-hmm. time. Unlike the GameCube games. I thought I thought it was going to be sacrilegious for saying that, but I was going to say Hunters up there as well. I was going to play really high up there as well. Because, like, yeah, I don't know. I think I think for me, there's just something about Metroid. Um, I think, like, what stuck with me the most was that the experiences really separated themselves from anything else Nintendo was doing at the time. Because, you know, for me too, Metroid, like I say, Metroid Prime and Fusion were my first entries, just like you guys. And yeah, like, it was just like, you know, they had this deep sci-fi saying, I'm a big sci-fi fan, they had this very narrative-driven experience. And, like, it was interesting because Metroid Prime, and eventually Hunters, I'm getting back to Hunters, um, it really felt like they were ramping up everything to a level you didn't really see from Nintendo. Like, especially in the early 2000s when, like, Halo Frenzy was at its peak, like, here's Nintendo taking on a first-person shooter or first-person adventure, as they called it at the time. But, like, it worked really well. Like, it was its own unique experience because of the emphasis on exploration. It it felt like it was truly a kind of then-next-gen type of game because, you know, you had Samus's visor and the effects of her breath and the reflections in it and stuff. And it, it really just felt unlike anything Nintendo did before. And still, you know, you it, 
it felt different from what Nintendo's done before, but it was also still unique compared to like its contemporaries in the genre. And even Nintendo, you know, refusing to admit it was in the same genre, but kind of matching in their own way what the genre was doing was cool. So then like Hunters, it felt like it was just that like further because, you know, like you said, the atmosphere and you were moving and separately from aiming, which was more like a regular FPS. And then they just went all in and did like the online battle arena aspect with the, you know, they had the multiplayer mode as well, the first shooters on Nintendo Wi-Fi connection. And with touch controls, no less. Yeah, and yeah, it was just. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, honestly, things. like, yeah. you know, to put them in the same breath as all the other sci-fi games that were out at that time. Like, no offense to Stylix and Weevil, but like their their designs maybe were going in a different direction. Let's say, but the gameplay, yeah, like my friend and I in high school loved to play Hunters online so much. It was so much fun. Yeah, so I'm I'm with you, Kevin. Hunters is surprisingly surprisingly solid. Um, I wonder if it aged well. That's what I'm worried like, about. I really want them to I do mean, this. Graphic, graphics, graphics aside, I wonder how the gameplay would age. That's a good question. I mean, they, it, it, they came close with Federation Force, kind of, but that was more co-op, so we don't really truly know. But it was similar in in, stru- in um, mechanics, at least. Um, yeah, I, I am. I would love for them to do a sequel to Metro. I think I've said this on the show before, but I would love for them to do a Metro Prime Hunters, either as like a Switch Online, like multiplayer only thing, or like just remake it in HD or something. But like, it, yeah, if the gameplay holds up, I imagine it's got to hold up at least decently because it was a very like kind of close quarter shooter, relatively. So, you know, there's got to be room for that. Like, you can't really mess. I can't really age poorly, right? <laughs> I hope, but. Yeah, um, one thing I do find kind of interesting about Metroid, though, is, and Kevin, you were sort of saying this with how, like, you know, Nintendo kind of didn't do anything with the franchise. Um, it was so weird. Like, it carved out this spot for itself against all of Nintendo's lineup, right? Like, it was kind of its own thing. It really stood out. It wasn't like a Zelda or a Mario or a Kirby or anything. It was a little darker, a little more narrative-driven, a little more moody. But then, like, Nintendo didn't know what to do with that. Like, at one point, Metroid was one of its biggest AAA franchises. Like, it was the flagship game for two GameCube holiday seasons. And Metroid Prime Hunters, the first Hunt demo, was packed in with the DS to boost sales of the DS. And even, you know, the Metroid Prime Pinball, like, the fact that that spinoff exists is because the core games were so big and popular. And, you know, it was, for a minute, really one of Nintendo's big guns. And then in the Wii era, they, like, ramped up even further in what Metroid represented, like, you know, good and bad. So Metroid Prime 3, ignoring, you know, the repetitive thing you were saying, Angel, like, it was an anchor of the 2007 uh, Wii lineup. It it continued doing what Nintendo did best with Metroid, which was, like, leaning in on some of the staples of a genre they didn't previously have a game in. You know, like, now they had voice acting. But they offered still something unique in the motion control, so it was kind of still doing that, t- like, kind of, walking that line. Then they tried to make lightning strike twice with other M. Uh, you know, that was them basically trying to modernize 2d Metroid, which, you know, on paper, it should have worked. It's a more modern narrative style. It's like, it's kind of Metroid fusion, but modernized There's better production values. Same exact release period as corruption. Just a few years later. So they were trying to like tit for tat and do the same thing. And obviously that didn't work and that's fine. But then it felt like Nintendo just kind of froze up with Metroid, like this breadwinner for them. Which did immediately sell less in the Wii era, especially in Other M's case. You know, maybe the Wii audience wasn't quite as locked into that type of game as the GameCube audience was or the GBA audience was. But, like, when Nintendo did that with other franchises, you know, they kind of plowed through issues and learned from mistakes. Like, Zelda, uh, Phantom Hourglass, and Spirit Tracks were fun, but Nintendo 
pretty quickly listened to feedback and revert reverse course and a link between worlds on 3ds a few years later was kind of the old school setup again but yet metroid you know at one point was as important to nintendo as zelda or mario and it just like they didn't know what to do with it. It was so weird. Like, its legacy is, like, this weird, like, peaks and valleys it went on. Because they didn't try to, like, go back to tried and true approaches. You know, a new 2D Metroid, a new Prime. They sort of just chibi-roboed it. They were like, well, maybe people want this other experience, like a four-sword-style Metroid as, like, a B-tier release. It doesn't mean not to have Samus in it. It's fine. Let's see what happens. That'll patch things up. And, like, I, yeah, Federation Force I thought was kind of fun. I, I will say that forever. I know most people didn't like it. I thought it was actually pretty fun. But what a weird response to like people being like hey we want like normal metroid back and i'm going well what if we go the other way and that took them eight years after other m to do sans returns and that was them going like oh look at that maybe we'll get traction if we like do the thing that made the series popular and then they did and now here we are with metroid dread and it's now back in flagship position it's back to the gamecube days it's you know the big game of e3 the big launch title for the switch oled model day and date it's getting not just its own Amiibo and collector's editions, but it's spurred Nintendo to reprint the Dark Samus and Ridley Amiibos from the Smash Bros. line, too. Those just went up for pre-order um, unannounced this week. Uh, but yeah, it's just like Metroid's now back where it should be, but its legacy is such a weird one to me to go from like Poster Child to B-tier spin-off release machine that's like Star Fox-ish, only to end up back as the Poster Child just by doing the exact thing people kind of always wanted all along. But, you know, whatever it takes to get Samus back in our lives, it's, it's cool. And obviously Metro Prime 4 is who knows where. But, uh, yeah, it's just Metro has such a weird legacy. The games are great, though. But what a weird legacy. I, I guess that's it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, so um, with that, this episode is going to come to a close. Um, unless you guys had any surprise last-second topics, like that game that we can't say on the air that you made up. That was at the end of our time stamp list. That's what I thought. Okay. Uh, but yeah, we'll be back uh, on August 1st with Nintendo Impressions and News. Uh, I think it's going to include our takes on Pokemon Unite. The game's supposed to be on de- de- uh, July, and just going by the calendar, August 1st is no longer July, so it's got to be out by then. Uh, but whatever we talk about, be it Pokemon Unite or what other whatever news may happen, whatever bombshell Nintendo drops because we recorded this early, we'll have all that then. You can make sure you don't miss it by uh, subscribing to us on every podcast app under the sun, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Pandora. We're on YouTube. Ramtown.com is the name. Uh, we are everywhere. And you'll want to make sure to uh, subscribe to us on those and also to follow us on Twitter at Ram Nintendo to make sure you don't miss random Nintendo, which the next one of which, which the next one of which, will be coming up uh, this coming weekend. So still in July. And if I had to guess... I don't know what we're talking about, but I gotta imagine there's gonna be quite a few pieces of Marvel media discussed because there's been multiple Marvel things of late. So, who knows what else? But that's my guess, Kevin. And dude, dude, we're probably gonna talk about it, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah probably. So that and who, and other fun surprises. So yeah, that just about does it. Um, you can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm JSR7. Angel is Wero W E I R O underscore O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. And with that, Kevin, sir, the final word, please. Put Chainsaw Man in Smash.